right, good morning, Coastal Church. It has been a wonderful morning so far. If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 2. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. This morning, we are going to continue in our series entitled The Unlikely Family Tree, where we are looking at four of only five women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in order to see what God's word would communicate to us for this Christmas season. So it's common for people to be known by what they do for a living, right? If I say the name Steven Spielberg, we all think film director. If I say Michael Jordan, we all think basketball player. If I say Elvis Presley, we all think musician, right? So today, we're going to be talking about a woman who was known for what many would call the world's oldest profession. That's right. We're going to be talking about Rahab, the prostitute. And so I'll be honest with you. When Pastor Nate asked me to, to speak, he said, hey, I want, to, I want you to speak on December 10th, uh, talk about Rahab. I thought, well, Rahab was a prostitute. How am I going to, I got to keep this family friendly, you know, and thinking through that. And then I, then I found out he was preaching on Tamar in Genesis 38 last week, and I thought, there is nothing off the table this week, okay? <laughs> he gave me the easy one. So this morning, um, we are going to be talking about Rahab the prostitute. Now, how many of you, it's, it's Christmas time, you see a lot of family you don't normally see. How many of you have some messed up people in your family? Don't raise your hands, don't raise your hands. Like Pastor Nate pointed out last week and like we're going to see this week and in the weeks to come, you are in good company because Jesus has some messed up, unlikely people in his family tree. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashan, and Nashan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. So, how is it that someone like Rahab the prostitute ends up in the genealogy of Jesus? It's, remember, in this time, it wasn't common for women to be mentioned at all in a genealogy. And yet, Rahab the prostitute finds her way into this genealogy. And Matthew is putting her there for a reason. He's, he's communicating something to us. And my hope this morning is that uh, that reason will become clear to us as we look at her story in Joshua chapter 2. Let's pray before we go any further. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your people, God, and uh, for the privilege it is to worship you corporately, Lord. God, I pray that you would guide us into truth by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would guard us from error, God, and that your word uh, would go forth and, and would not return void, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the story of Rahab. So after Israel was delivered from slavery in Egypt through the Exodus, 
Uh, They failed to enter the promised land because they did not believe God by faith. And so God punished the uh, nation of Israel by having them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so at the end of that 40 years of wandering, uh, God tells Moses he's not going to be the one to take Israel into the promised land. Uh, Moses dies, and then his successor, Joshua, is the one to lead the people into the promised land. Now, there was a problem for Israel in entering the promised land, and that problem was the city of Jericho. See, Jericho was a city in a valley surrounded by walls. So it was a obstacle, a physical barrier preventing Israel from going into the land. So they have to figure out what they're going to do about this Jericho problem. And so Joshua sends two spies into the land to scope it out. Um, I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's a little long, but hang with me. It's an incredible story. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, "'Go view the land, especially Jericho.'" And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and entered your house for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites when you were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, and when you devoted and were devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall go gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, 
his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. The two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. It's an incredible story, right? So first thing we see in this story is that Rahab heard and believed by faith. In this incredible story, we see Rahab heard about and believed in God by faith. Quick recap, look what she said in, in verses nine through 11. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So when the news spread about what God had done for Israel in parting the Red Sea and destroying these two kings, everybody in Jericho was filled with fear. They were filled with so much fear, they wanted to protect themselves from Yahweh and his people. What did, what did God say to Pharaoh during the, the Exodus? Do you remember? Chapter 9, verse 16, he said, But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's exactly what happened. News of God's power spread throughout the earth. And when the people of Jericho heard it, they were afraid of Yahweh. But Rahab, however, feared the Lord differently than the rest of Jericho. Rahab feared the Lord in that she believed by faith that Yahweh was the one true God. She said, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And so in displaying his power among the Egyptians, God provided a means by which Rahab could hear and believe by faith. Secondly, we see Rahab put her faith into action. Rahab believed that Yahweh was the one true God, so much so that she was willing to risk her own life to protect the Israelite spies. And she further demonstrated that faith by putting the scarlet rope in her window, just as the spies directed her to. Now, some of your minds already may be going back to Exodus and saying, you know what, that sounds familiar, right? Because what happened in, uh, the, in the Passover, in the final plague of Egypt, the angel of death came and killed the firstborn sons of Egypt, except for the houses where the blood of the lamb had been put over the doorposts. So what these symbols point us to is the greater reality of what Christ has done. 
Because when the angel of death passed through, all who had the blood of the lamb covering the doorpost were, were passed over and delivered. And when the walls of Jericho fell, the ones who were covered by the scarlet rope were passed over, they were delivered. And in the same way, all who are in Christ are delivered from the judgment of God. A quick aside about this story. <clears throat> Scripture commends the faith of Rahab, but one thing it's a little unclear on is whether or not it condones her methods. Think about it. How did she protect the spies? She lied, right. In fact, she told three lies. She said she didn't know they were Israelites, she didn't know where they went, um, and that they had already or that they had already left and that she didn't know where they'd gone. And so as Christians reading this story, it, it kind of creates an ethical dilemma, right? It makes for some interesting discussion. We could say, was her lie morally acceptable to God because she prioritized the higher moral good of protecting life? Or should she have simply refused to answer the questions of the king's men and trusted that God would prevent the king's men from finding the spies when they inevitably searched her home? We could go back and forth all day, but I, I want to make two observations about that. Um, we would be wise not to justify being untruthful based on this story, right? Truth matters. Honesty matters. We should, we should not use this story to justify being untruthful uh, with other people. But what Scripture does praise Rahab for is her faith that was carried out through action as imperfect as the action may have been. Make sense? And we see that after Rahab put that faith into action, Rahab was delivered. You know, later in Joshua chapter 6, God told Joshua, here's how you're going to destroy the Jericho. You're going to march around the city one time per day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times, and the walls are just going to fall down. That sounds ridiculous, right? But that's what they did, and that's what happened. They obeyed God, they marched around the city walls, and the walls crumbled except for one part of the wall, right? The only part of the wall that we know for a fact did not fall was the wall with the scarlet rope in the window. This part of the wall was preserved and everyone in the house was spared. Joshua chapter six, verse 17 says, "'And the city and all that is within it "'shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction.'" Only Rahab and the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Jump down to verse 22. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So Rahab... And those in her house were the only ones spared during the conquering of Jericho. If I may speculate with you for a moment, I think, I believe that God orchestrated this whole thing specifically, expressly to save Rahab. Think about it for a second. What did the spies accomplish? 
They go to Jericho. They go to Rahab's house. They get found out. She hides them. She tells them how to escape. They escape, and they go tell Joshua about it. They didn't do anything. They accomplished nothing. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that God put it in the mind of Joshua to send these spies so that Rahab would have the opportunity to respond in faith and be delivered. And it just, you read a story like this and doesn't it just overwhelm you, the grace of our God, the love of our God, that he would see fit to save somebody like Rahab out of this, specu- or out of this situation? And uh, next we see Rahab was converted. Joshua 6.25 tells us after that, Rahab remained a citizen of Israel, becoming the first Gentile convert mentioned by name in Scripture. That's amazing. We know from the genealogy of Jesus recorded in Matthew that Rahab married Salmon, who some traditions say was one of the two spies. We don't know that for sure, but it's certainly possible. Uh, who fathered Boaz, who fathered Obed, who fathered Jesse, who fathered King David. And so this makes Rahab the great, great, great grandmother of King David, one of the most prominent figures in the Old Testament and an even more distant grandmother of Jesus Christ. So not only did God see it fit to save Rahab from destruction, he saw it fit to put her in the messianic line, responsible for bringing kings of Israel, ultimately the king of kings, Jesus Christ, came into the world through her line. That's incredible. We see in this story, Rahab goes from harlot to hero. Now, Rahab was an unlikely candidate, wasn't she? Think about it. She was an unmarried woman. This would give her a low status in society. She was a prostitute, which would make her even more of an outcast in society. Her clientele maybe liked her a little bit, but other than that, even more of an outcast. And she was a Gentile Canaanite, a citizen of a city directly opposed to Yahweh and his people doesn't get much more unlikely than that. Look at how the Apostle Paul describes Gentiles. If you're not familiar with that word, it simply just means uh, not a Jew, not part of the nation of Israel. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's pretty bleak, right? That was true of Rahab. That was absolutely true of Rahab. And and Paul is highlighting for these Gentile Christians that, hey, prior to Acts 10, when Gentiles were added into the people of God to form the church, prior to that, you were lost. You were hopeless. And it is utterly astounding that someone like Rahab would display even greater faith than many in Israel. Rahab's story is about as unlikely as it could possibly be, except for the grace of God, amen? Rahab was transformed. In this story of Rahab, we see her go from Gentile to Israelite, from a prostitute to a bride, from a harlot to a hero. And you know, one commentator said about this story He said, the most important thing for us to see is that God's saving grace can extend beyond the borders of Israel into the depths of the worst of human sin and depravity and save even the most vile of sinners. 
So yeah, Rahab is a main character in this story, but you know what the real main character is? God and his grace. This is a story about the amazing grace of God and God's purposes and plans were always to, intended to go beyond Israel. His, his plan of salvation was never intended for Israel alone. What did he tell Abraham in chapter 22, verse 18 of Genesis? He said, in your offspring shall all the nations be blessed. And Rahab is a first fruits, if you will, of Gentiles being added into the people of God. She's the first Gentile convert named in the Bible. We see that her story is a type or a foreshadowing of all Gentile believers that would follow. And unless you're Jewish, that's you and me. I want you to see this morning, Rahab's story is our story. Like Rahab, we were once far from God. We were unlikely candidates for the grace of God. As Ephesians 2.12 says, we were alienated, we were strangers to the covenant promises, we were without hope and without God in the world. Do you know what Ephesians 2 goes on to say? Verse 13, this is, this is so important. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord." Paul loves run-on sentences. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So like Rahab, when we believe God by faith, he delivers us from destruction and he makes us part of his people. So there's no longer Jew and Gentile, but we are all brought near to God into one man into one body. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're members of the household of God, amen? We're being built into a holy temple. Us collectively are being built into a holy temple, the dwelling place for God, his church. And this is true of all who are in Christ, joined together as one people of God. We see that Rahab, as Christians, serves as an example for our faith. So as followers of Christ, we have a lot we can learn from the story of Rahab about being people of faith. And in fact, there are two New Testament writers, the writer of Hebrews and James, the brother of Jesus, both point to Rahab as an example for Christians to follow. Hebrews chapter 11, which we know is the hall of faith of the Bible, right? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. 
By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab was saved from destruction because of her faith in God, demonstrated, excuse me, demonstrated through her actions toward the Israelite spies. And the writer of Hebrews says she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. And my mind immediately goes to Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus says, when he returns, he's going to gather the nations with the unrighteous on one side and the righteous on the other. And you know one of the things he's gonna say to the righteous? He's gonna say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And church, do not for one second underestimate the power of kindness and hospitality towards others when it's done in faith. Do not underestimate the power of that. We also see James, the brother of Jesus, he holds Rahab up as an example of faith in his famous discourse where he teaches that faith apart from works is dead. James chapter two, starting in verse 20. He says, do you wanna be shown, you foolish person? He's a super nice guy. That faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now notice James gives two examples. Abraham, like the guy that God called to start the nation of Israel, the most prominent patriarchal figure in the Bible, and Rahab the prostitute. Isn't it incredible that he's putting these two in the same category? It's amazing. And he points out that Rahab's faith wasn't mere words, but her faith had action. Her faith was so strong, she was willing to put her own life at risk to protect the Israelite spies. Now, we've covered numerous times at Coastal uh, that this section uh, of James, he's, he's not teaching that we earn our salvation, Right? It can kind of sound that way on the surface, but what he's teaching about is the kind of faith that saves. So when he uses that word justified, he's not using it the same way that someone like the Apostle Paul would. So the Apostle Paul talks about justification. We get a righteous, a legal righteous standing before God when we're in Christ. And we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. That's the clear testimony of scripture. Whereas James is using the word justified more in the sense of proving to be genuine. James is saying, if you say you have faith, but there's no evidence that it's genuine, then what good is that? Your faith is dead and lifeless and it's no faith at all. So James and the writer of Hebrews are actually saying the same thing in two different ways. So, we see from this that our faith must have action. In the story of Rahab, we see an example of a person that against all odds had faith in God, and that faith led her to take action. And church, this is the kind of faith that we ought to aspire to have. 
We ought to be a people that aspire to have faith in God so great that we are willing to put everything on the line. We are willing to take whatever action is necessary, whatever good work God's called us to, whatever good work he's prepared in advance for us. We ought to be a people that will walk in those good works. This is the kind of faith that took Rahab from a harlot to a hero. We're gonna close this morning. I'm gonna call up the prayer team and the worship team. I'm gonna leave you with a few takeaways from the story of Rahab. First, no one is too far away from God to be saved by his amazing grace. No one. I believe that when the writer of Hebrews and James refer to Rahab, they're intentional to call her Rahab the prostitute. You know why? Not to suggest that she remained a prostitute, not to, not to suggest that she's defined by her past, but to put on display the utter magnitude of the grace of God. That Rahab the prostitute could be used of God in such a powerful way, could be delivered from destruction. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to understand your past does not define you. No sin you've committed, no, no, nothing you've done can ever, ever be so great that the grace of God can't cover it. The grace of God is so big and so eager to cover your sin. And if you've heard this word today and you've believed by faith, I wanna urge you to repent, to profess Jesus as Lord, to follow him. And like Rahab, you can be delivered and brought into God's family. Now, if you're already a follower of Christ, I want you to remember that no one is too far away from God to be saved by his amazing grace. Remember Rahab in the way that you treat outsiders. When you interact with people that are not Christians, I don't care how sinful they are or how far from God they seem, they are not too far to be saved by his amazing grace. The same grace that saved Rahab is the same grace that saved you and I. And apart from Christ, we are no better off than she was. We're no better off than the people that were destroyed in Jericho apart from Christ. Second, God loves to accomplish his will through unlikely people when they're willing to put their faith into action. Faith that is genuine and faith that is alive is proven in our actions. It's proven in our work. So I want to ask you this morning, what steps of faith is God calling you to? What action do you need to take? I don't know what it is for you, but I pray that God would bring it to your mind right now. What's that thing that you know you, you, know you need to do, but maybe you're hesitant, maybe you've been disobedient, and you said, you know what, God? I'm gonna put my faith into action. I'm gonna take that step. Whatever it is for you, I pray that God would use this story to help you put that faith into action. And thirdly, let's enter this Christmas season with an attitude of worship. Because the same God that plucked Rahab out of obscurity and delivered her from destruction is the same God who entered into obscurity himself to be born among men to keep God's law perfectly on our behalf, to go to the cross and die a substitutionary death in our place, 
to be risen from the grave three days later so that we all might too be risen and live eternally with him. Church, that is the reason for Christmas. And I pray that we would not lose sight of that. That our hearts would be filled with awe toward our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, for all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy that we don't deserve, God. We thank you that, Lord, just like you saw it fit to provide a means for Rahab to be saved, you provided a means for us to be saved. Father, I, I pray that all under the sound of my voice, God would hear and believe by faith today, God. Lord, I pray that we would treat others, God, as those who haven't experienced your grace yet. God, that we would have faith to see people come to Christ, no matter where they happen to be right now. God, I pray that we would be an obedient church that puts our faith into action, that does what you're calling us to do, that's led by your spirit in each and everything we do. And God, I pray that our hearts would just be filled with awe and worship this season, God, that we would not be distracted or weighed down by stupid, burdensome things, God, but that we would keep the main thing the main thing and that we would remember your grace and your love that you displayed in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.